0: We are gonna to turn to, uh, to God's word uh, now, so, uh, Andrew, if we could have the, the first slide up, brilliant. Uh, I think it's, it's fair to say that leadership, and, and Stephen has already kind of referred to this, but I think it's fair to say that, that leadership has been a hot topic in the media during these past couple of weeks, whether it is in, in politics, whether it's in government, whether it's in, in sport, our news reports have been dominated by by headlines and discussions and debates about leadership challenges, about leadership crisis, about the need for better leaders, about the need for new leaders. I was thinking of some other leaders I could have put up there this morning. I I didn't decide to put up pictures from across the pond, the likes of Clinton and Trump. But there's been so much talk and focus on leadership recently. Well, today, we're going to look and think about a particular style of leadership, but but not one that gets a lot of press coverage. Uh, But I want you to just park that thought about leadership for a moment, and I want to ask you a question. Now, this question that I'm going to ask you is seemingly unrelated to the way I've just started, but I'm going to make the connections in a moment. Here's the question I want to ask you this morning. If you could ask a favor of Jesus what would it be? Okay? If, you could, if, if all of us this morning could ask a favor of Jesus, no matter how young, how old we were, if we could ask a favor of Jesus, what would it be? Well, in the story that we're about to look at from Matthew chapter 20, a mum brings her two boys, her two sons to Jesus, looking for a favor. Th- that's what she's after. She's after a favor from Jesus. And whenever she approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to ask you for a favor, Jesus replies with this question, what is it you want? And I think that is a fascinating question in itself to consider. Because imagine, again, imagine Jesus asking you this morning, what is it you want? Think about your situation, your circumstances, your family, your friends, whatever. And Jesus was to say, What is it you want? How how would you answer Jesus? For those who are uh, visiting today, and I realize there are quite a few we as a church have been thinking about some of the questions that Jesus asked in Matthew's gospel. Because as you read all of the gospels, not just Matthew, but as you read all of the gospels, you quickly discover that Jesus liked to ask questions. And the reason that Jesus, I believe, liked to ask questions was because questions engage people. They draw people in. Questions make people think Questions encourage a response. When someone asks you a question, we all know it would be rude not to answer it. Questions take people on a journey of discovery. And so Jesus asks lots of questions. Here is a list of some of the questions that we've been looking at over recent months. Who do you say I am? What can anyone give? This, is what we, this was the question we thought about last Sunday. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? why are you so afraid? Why did you doubt? And do you believe I'm able to do this? Those are questions that Jesus asked of people. These are questions that Jesus still asks. There have been more of them, but this morning in the text that we're going to look at, Jesus asks two questions. The first one we've already looked at, what is it you want? But if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20? and as we often do here at Windsor we stand for the public reading of God's word so let's let's stand together as we read Matthew 20 verses 20 to 28 headed if you're using a, a new international version headed a mother's request then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him what is it you want Jesus asked. She said, "'Grant that one of these sons of mine "'may sit on your right "'and the other at your left in the kingdom.'" "'You don't know what you're asking,' Jesus said to them. "'Can you drink the cup I am going to drink?' "'We can,' they answered. "'Jesus said to them, "'You will indeed drink from the cup, "'but to sit at my right or at my left "'is not for me to grant.'" These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Gra- grab a seat. I, uh, I think it's interesting that the sons of thunder, because that's, that's who it was, James and John, the sons of thunder as they are affectionately known in the gospels, they got their mum to ask Jesus for a favor. Maybe they, they knew all too well that what they were asking for was a little controversial, a little out there, so they sent their mum. Do you ever do that? I don't mean send your mum, but do you ever send someone else to ask the difficult question? Because you're kind of not prepared to ask it yourself? Well, back a chapter in Matthew 19, Jesus had actually promised that all twelve disciples would sit on thrones in his kingdom. And so this request from a mum wasn't totally out of the blue. It it didn't entirely come from left field. But what mum specifically wanted, it it wasn't enough that the boys would have one of the 12 seats. What mum specifically wanted was that they would have the top seats right beside Jesus. One on his left, one on his right. Key positions, prominent positions. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He he sees beyond the presenting question, and he immediately responds, you don't know what you're asking for. And notice it reads, if you have a Bible open, it says, Jesus said to them, he didn't just say to the mum because Jesus knew all too well that James and John were in on this. They were behind this. They were the ones that wanted these top positions, but they didn't have the courage to go and ask Jesus themselves, so they sent their mum. But Jesus says to them, you do not know what you're asking. And then he asks another searching question. Can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? Jesus knows exactly what lies ahead of him. Jesus, remember, for those who have been kind of charting this journey with us, is now on his way to Jerusalem. He knows the fate that awaits him, he knows his destiny. And if you glance up the verses 17 to 20, you'll see him telling his disciples that when he gets to this place, when he gets to Jerusalem, when he reaches his destiny, he's gonna be condemned, he's gonna be flogged, he's gonna be beaten, and he's gonna be crucified. And so whenever Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink, that was a metaphor. That was an Old Testament metaphor that meant, are you up for suffering? Can you drink the cup of of suffering that I am about to drink? James and John knew what Jesus meant whenever he said this, whenever he asked them this question. They knew that Jesus was asking them in this moment, are you prepared to be persecuted? Are you prepared to suffer for my sake? are you prepared to be rejected? Are you prepared to walk the same road that I'm called to walk? And you know something to their credit? Look at how they answer. We can. Jesus, we can drink this cup that you're going to drink. And before we kind of rush past this and move on to the challenge that Jesus needed to bring regarding their desire for status and greatness, I don't want to miss this. I don't want to rush past. I don't want to gloss over their commitment to Jesus and to his mission. These guys were prepared to suffer for Jesus. These guys were prepared to suffer because of Jesus. They didn't back down when they were confronted with the reality and the implications of following Jesus. And in fact, as many of you know, as it turned out, James, one of these two, was eventually, in the end, executed by Herod, according to Acts chapter 12, because he belonged to the church. So whenever James stood here before Jesus said, yes, Jesus, I am prepared to suffer for you, he meant it. He genuinely meant it, right to the point where he was prepared to lay down his very life for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. And whatever else we take away from this morning, the question of being willing to suffer for Jesus, being willing to be persecuted and insulted for the sake of Jesus, is still alive, irrelevant, and maybe even a more pressing question for every 21st-century disciple of Jesus Christ. Are we us? Are we prepared to take it in the neck for following Jesus and His ways? Are we prepared to be hated? because of Jesus, as Jesus himself said we would be? That's a very uncomfortable question. Am I prepared to be hated? We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved, but we all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. But are we prepared to drink the cup? Are we prepared to suffer? Are we prepared to be insulted and persecuted and ridiculed? And before I just kind of leave that challenge, I do want to make it clear that although that commitment sounds onerous and heavy and off-putting, it's also vital to recognize that Jesus made it crystal clear that those who are insulted, that those who are persecuted, that those who are hated because of righteousness, because of Jesus, are blessed. They are the blessed ones. They're the ones who live the truly God-blessed life. And elsewhere we read that those who suffer for Jesus, and this is me just quoting a later scripture, those who suffer for Jesus will be perfected, they will be confirmed, they will be strengthened, they will be established by Jesus. There is something bigger going on, something greater. But let's get back to the story in the text. Doing really well, kids, you're hanging in there, thank you. Let's get back to the story text, where Jesus does acknowledge that they will indeed drink his cup. So Jesus says, yes, you will drink my cup. You will suffer. But then Jesus addresses the other pressing issue, this desire for status and position. And what he initially says to the two brothers is, listen, it's not up for me who sits where. It's not up to me. It's up to my father. Don't want to digress too much, but it does raise the question that certain apostles or Christians will have some kind of privileged place in the future rule. It seems to be the case, but that's a digression. I don't want to go there. Now, whenever the other 10 disciples hear word of what the two brothers have asked, not entirely sure how they got word of it, but they do get word of it. But whenever the other 10 hear what James and John were after, they go, non-theological term, nuts. They go absolutely mad. It says they were indignant. They were incensed. They weren't incensed because they thought the two brothers' question was out of order. That's, that's not what angered them. What angered the other ten was primarily because, or was because, they all wanted those seats. They all wanted those positions. They all wanted that kind of status. They were raging at James and John calling shotguns. You see, back two chapters in Matthew 18, the disciples had been arguing about who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this was something they would talk about and argue about on a regular basis. But back two chapters, Matthew 18, they're having an argument about who's gonna be the greatest. And Jesus takes a little child. And Jesus takes a little child and uses a little child as an illustration because he said, you know something? Your understanding of greatness needs to be reworked. It needs to be reimagined. It needs to be realigned. According to Jesus, it was whoever would take the lowly position of a child. And in that culture and at that time, kids were seen to have a lowly position. But Jesus said, it's those who are willing to become like little children. They're the ones who'll be great in the kingdom of God. Now, that's two chapters ago. This clearly didn't compute. It didn't register. It kind of went in one ear, out the other. And so here they are again, possibly only a matter of days or weeks after that conversation with Jesus and that illustration. Here they are again vying for position, vying for status, trying to suss out who's gonna be the greatest, who's gonna be the first. And so once again, Jesus has to grab another opportunity to teach them a lesson and to turn their thinking upside down and so it says he gathers all 12 of them so he brings James and John he brings the other 10 before him and he speaks to the whole group about the concept of and here's the thing servant leadership and in a nutshell here is Jesus's point here's the phrase I'd love us all to take away from this morning greatness is measured by service Greatness is measured by service, or service is the mark of true greatness. And as Jesus goes on to talk about the rulers of the Gentiles and his officials, what he actually says is, listen, it's not about having authority. It's not about control. It's not about ruling over people. It's certainly not about status. Instead, here's what would-be leaders need to be. Would-be leaders need to be servants and slaves. And so whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And this is really upside down, alternative countercultural thinking. It was then, it still is now. It's an entirely different and whole other framework to construct because it's not about self-promotion. It's not about power as we understand it. It's not about getting ahead by being more aggressive or being more powerful or being more intimidating or being more demanding. It's all about giving yourself for the benefit of others. Giving off yourself for the benefit of others. That's what it means to be great. That's what it means to be a great leader. That's what it means to be a servant leader. And oh, how badly we need those kind of leaders. Leaders who are willing to give themselves and off themselves, not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And oh, how we need those kind of Christians who realize that if you want to be great, if you want to be first, you got to be a servant and you got to be a slave and you've got to live out and lead out of that place. But the thing is, and I'm nearly done, the thing is we need examples. We need people to model this. We need people to model this who will inspire us. And quite honestly, as we look around us today, there are not too many servant leaders. Or at least that's how I would say. There are some, but I'm not sure there are that many. And as always, when it comes to the model we look at and the inspiration we need, Jesus himself provides the perfect example. Not only for his disciples, but also for us. Because just after he says this about a servant and a slave, he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to give of himself for the benefit of others. Jesus came to live out this. Jesus could have come to be served. Of course he could have come to be served. It would have been entirely appropriate for Jesus, who was God, to come and to be served, but he didn't. He chose to come to serve, and to give of himself for the benefit of others, which brings us to what we're going to do in a couple of minutes at this table. Because in terms of giving of himself, Jesus laid down his very life in order that we might be free to live. You see, a ransom, as it's referred to here, was and still is the price of release. It's the money that is paid in order to gain liberation of a person or a people who are held in alienating and dangerous captivity. And that is the plight and the reality of every human being. We are all, I know this is not popular teaching. I recognize this. But we are all held captive to sin and its damning consequences short-term consequences, long-term consequences. But because of Jesus, because he came to serve, because he gave of himself, because he said, yes, I am up to being condemned and betrayed and beaten and flogged and crucified. I am up for living beyond myself. I am prepared to give of myself for the benefit of others because he became the greatest servant leader who ever lived then the many this this ransom for many who are the many they are those who accept his freedom and forgiveness we're all familiar with the phrase no pain no gain when it comes to this table his pain our gain it's upside down it's countercultural doesn't make sense. And therefore, in this single act that we're about to reenact, in a sense, that we're about to remember, that we're about to recall, that as we eat and we drink, in this single act of service, all the greatest needs of humanity were met in the ultimate example of servanthood. The paradigm of power was turned upside down so that the apparent weakness of a broken human being hanging rejected dejected on a cross becomes the greatest display of power the world has ever known. And here in Matthew 20, at this stage in the the story, the disciples didn't know this. They weren't able to grasp the full impact of what Jesus was saying when he talks about laying down his life as a ransom for many. They didn't know what that meant, but we do. We do. And so we can appreciate and understand that greatness is profoundly challenged here and profoundly challenges our understanding of what it means to be great and what it means to be first. Greatness and first equals servant and slave. And in the not too distant future from Matthew 20, the disciples are gonna get another striking lesson in what this means as Jesus bends down before them and washes their dirty feet. Because you see, this lesson needed to be constantly learned. And I need to constantly learn this. Because so often we do creep into that place of, do you know something? I do want to be great. I do want to be first. Well, greatness is measured by service. So by all means, let's all be great. Or back to the first question of Jesus, what is it you want? Maybe a good answer to that question would be, Jesus, I want to be great. I want to be great in your kingdom, which means I want to be a servant and I want to be a slave. Thank you for your example. Let's eat and let's drink in remembrance of him who came not to be served but to serve.